Wilkinson in space now. Far elbow, cross for CJ! Meditate on that, Nashville! Nashville SC has a win in its new stadium. More than 27,000 fans filled Geodis Park and watched the boys in gold drown the Royals from Real Salt Lake in Nashville's new castle. Let's talk about it. The goal call courtesy of iHeartRadio from some dimwit on the microphone. The music courtesy of Moon Taxi. This show courtesy of two people who'd covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. This is Club and Country. I'm Nashville SC Radio Voice West Bowling. And I'm also a dimwit with a microphone, but more often a keyboard. Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. At first, I, I, I misinterpreted keyboard and thought you've been hiding some music career from me. But no, you don't mean electronica music. Yeah, I, I can, I can make some tunes if you really want. Yeah. We'll, we'll have the singing portion at the end. It will be oh, acapella. No, no, thank you. you. <laughs> it's optional. Optional listening. Uh, Tim, Gary Smith told us before Sunday's match that his team was desperate to get that first win at Jodas Park. Of course they would be. They outplayed Philadelphia, the top team in the East the week before, had to settle for a late draw. Uh, There's no question, though, who the better team was on Sunday. The only question for 62 minutes was whether Nashville could finally capitalize on what was one of the most dominant performances in club history. There have been plenty of times over the course of this club's professional tenure that dominant performances have been rewarded with just scoreless draws because they couldn't find the back of the net. Um, You know, it does appear that for the most part, those days are over, whether it's a set piece getting the difference, as we saw on Sunday, or Hani Mukhtar Magic, as we saw frequently last year. And we'll talk about whether or not that is, is going to be back this year later in the show. The Yeah, I told Eddie about the 70th minute mark. After Nashville scored that first goal, I said the difference between if Nashville wants to be different from last year's team, it will see this one out and it will get an insurance goal. Whereas last year, so often, Nashville would go up and they would concede late and come back with a draw that might look okay on paper, except that it could have been three. This time, it was three. And today, we'll explore the factors that led to the dominance, also to the victory. And we'll hear from one of the league's most respected voices about what the soccer community thinks of Nashville so far this year. We'll discuss some other national-level topics with him uh, as well. Matt Doyle going to join us. Uh, A summary, though, Tim, I think of what he will say is that this team is going to be really, really hard to beat at Geodis Park. Yeah, Matt, Matt is one of our, our good friends, obviously. And um, read the Geodis Park question. We've seen a really good team and a maybe a baseline mediocre team come visit Nashville. We don't know what it'll be like when there's a long stretch in the dog days of summer and they see kind of a variety of good teams, a variety of teams maybe that are down the table. Nashville has tended to play down to opposition at times in its history, but at the very least, a team that has been solid on the road looks ready to continue that form and maybe add the home field advantage when they return to Kyoto's part. In the early shout today, we'll explore the numbers behind that historic day. Also, how did Nashville respond to the loss of Randall Leal at halftime and how will the team carry the momentum into their first three-match week of the season as U.S. Open Cup starts maybe the same day you guys are listening to this it's wednesday night in our interview with matt doyle again we'll discuss all kinds of topics including his impression of nashville sc matt is a great tactical analyst uh, he writes what a good solid five thousand words on every week of mls play uh, he also appears on mls extra time which is um, a, a very strong podcast that uh, i think has the ears of, of much of this league uh, in the mailbag we'll reflect on several individual performances we got questions from you about folks like Muil, mccarty luke hawkinson ak Loba, 
Also, Nashville lost Randall Leal at halftime. We don't know for how long. Gary Smith said in the postgame press conference it didn't initially look serious. By the time you're listening to this, there may be more information on that. Nonetheless, he was hobbled, and there is a chance Nashville could be playing some soccer in the near term without him. How would they respond to that? Also, is the south side of the stadium cursed? <laughs> Maybe the most feelings ball question we've ever gotten, but we'll get into it. And uh, we've got our U.S. Open Cup starting 11s. Who would we like to see to balance the aspiration of winning with the desire to rotate and let some other guys get some time? Finally, we'll go outside in. Seattle reigns, and so does MLS in CONCACAF Champions League. And do we think there will be any cup sets in the U.S. Open Cup in midweek but first club and country is sponsored by ml rose and tim we have a special treat for folks who are going to the u.s open cup match or those who aren't going but still want to drink beer even if you have plans later in the evening we've got a happy hour planned for you at ml rose from 3 to 7 p.m at the 8th avenue ml rose on wednesday one dollar off beer liquor wine and appetizers plus a giveaway for two tickets to the Montreal match. The only downside is that I will be there. Um, so you will have to see me and, and talk to me. Uh, we're going to have a competition. Anybody who's there, who who's tweets a picture and tags ML Rose, Club and Country, and 440 Sports will be entered to win those two tickets to the Montreal match. But most importantly, Tim, it's it's the first chance that I've gotten, and sorry we'll miss you this time around, to, to really sit down with folks and, and interact at ML Rose, talk soccer, uh, and, and get ready for that U.S. Open Cup match. That's one of the reasons we've talked about a lot of times why we're so proud to sponsor or to have MRO sponsor us, to partner with MROs is the word I was looking for, is because they want it to be a soccer place. They don't want to just kind of say, oh, yeah, we sponsor a podcast and, and that's it. They want to be a place that soccer fans can go and enjoy themselves and, and obviously enjoy a plenty of good beers or or uh, liquor and wine with a dollar off as well this Wednesday and also and the, also enjoy the food that they can have at MROs. And those are things that we're excited to share with them. Don't forget those Carolina sweets either. One dollar off appetizers <laughs> too, and I would I'd pay five dollars more than the Carolina sweets cost, much less getting them at uh, at discount. Again, th- that's all credit to you. You're the one who introduced me to to the Carolina sweets. Um, <laughs> Kay Baker, by the way, somebody that we have introduced to ML Rose. She tweeted uh, on game day um, that that she and her husband went. She said it was great. We'll add it to our list of pregame spots. They are vegan, and they had the Impossible Burger, uh, which again you can substitute any meat patty for an Impossible meat patty. I am. Not vegan, although I have great respect for everybody who is. Shout out Taylor Washington. Uh, I believe he's he's going vegan at this point, if I'm not mistaken. But um, I, um, I I love meat, and even then, I love jumping in and substituting an Impossible Burger every now and then. And Emil Rose will do that for you. Um, it, it's it's uh, we we keep hearing from people, Tim, who are going pregame or postgame, as we have recommended. And that's the reason MROs wanted to sponsor us. The proximity to the stadium meant they knew some business was going to be coming their way, and they wanted to prep people for the greatness that is their establishment. Yeah, and we're, again, we're excited to, to share that word with them. We're excited to have people pregame and postgame at MROs. And, and every so often, uh, you and I will probably be there meeting some of the fans, and we're excited to have that happen. We're excited to have you kind of introduce MROs to some of these people Wednesday before the game. Can't wait to see you guys there. And tweet us and let us know if you're going to be there, by the way. Uh, we'll be promoting this again uh, Tuesday and early Wednesday. Um, I'll get there a little after 3. Got to you know, have a day job and do have a meeting that I have to attend to before getting there. But should be there uh, shortly after 3 o'clock and hope to see a lot of you there. And if you're going over to the game, you can stay as late as you want. You know, The, the deal lasts through 7. I'm going to leave around probably 5.30 or 6. So we'll do that ticket drawing right around then. Uh, so get ready. Again, free tickets to... Uh, Montreal uh, in in the offing for some 
somebody. Great burgers, ambiance, convenience to the new stadium, watch parties for every road match, and a happy hour before the U.S. Open Cup at 3 p.m. Wednesday. Also, that large, diverse, locally driven craft beer list. I hope to be toasting to a Nashville SC Open Cup win with you on Wednesday afternoon slash evening. All right, time for the early shout. Square pass for Mukhtar to Sean Davis. He knocks this one into the box, headed on to a dangerous position by Sapong. Skips wide, shot saved off the line. Back to Romney, and Dave Romney has scored. The boys in gold have their breakthrough in the 63rd minute. Nashville's castle is built with walls of sound. Dave Romney broke the seal on Sunday with the first non-penalty goal in Geodis Park history for the boys in gold. Tim, a deserved go-ahead goal from the person, of course, that everyone in the stadium <laughs> predicted would score it. Hey, man, it's his third goal for Nashville, but his second in the past five games. He's on a hot, hot streak here. Um, it, it wasn't a play design for him, uh, to say the least, but <laughs> Romney has been in the past and, and on Sunday was the beneficiary of a, a right place, right time decision at the end of a set piece, and that's what... That's what good good center backs do is not only help keep a clean sheet, but they know exactly where to be when the, that second phase of a set piece comes to them. It won't surprise you or anybody for me to say that the, the, my favorite goals as a broadcaster are also people's favorite goals to watch. The Galazzo from 25 yards out, the buildup like that second goal, with the beautiful sweeping pass ahead, and, <laughs> and Hawkinson with the ball back into Sapong. I, feel like, that was saying, a fun I goal. feel like you're setting up to roast my boy Dave here. <laughs> Romney's goal was not fun. It was, it was, it was, let me, let me be very clear. The result was absolutely exhilarating. Um, the buildup, it's so choppy inside the box that your, your, your brain is playing pinball as the ball is. And, um, fortunately I was not caught quite as flat footed as the RSL defense was on that, in that moment, but not far (laughs) off from it. And, uh, you, you may have heard it on that call. There's a little uncertainty as the ball goes in the box, but the one person who was not uncertain was uh, was Dave Romney with as as you mentioned his third goal in gold. Remember that first goal? Remember who that was against? I do remember. It was the uh, the post apocalyptic Orlando City game. Romney's goal, part of a three one defeat in that one, part of a two 0 win in this one that never felt in doubt after that. Nashville took the first ten shots of the match and really only began to seed a little bit of possession after going ahead. The plan going in was to get both wingbacks up the field, uh, Alex Mwil and Dan Lovitz, both of them, and let Nashville's attack serve as its defense, really. And mm-hmm. RSL was never able to solve that. Uh, there were double layers of pressure. They'd get it past that first level, and there'd be a second layer of, of repress going on. And as a result, just 71% pass accuracy for RSL, one of the lowest of the year. They're not a high-pass accuracy team anyway, but, but it was particularly low uh, in that first half. Zero major scoring chances for Salt Lake. Um, in your opinion, what was the biggest tactical factor behind that dominance? Was it that high press across the width of the field or something else that stood out to you? It was the high press for sure. I, I tweeted out an image just before halftime of RSL's pass map, and it was uh, it was grim to say the least. Not only was there not a single RSL player whose average position was on Nashville's side of the midfield stripe, the passing connections were disjointed at best. There was like a little group of four guys on the on the left near the midfield stripe, and then like, you know, eight guys, uh, that's 12, seven guys, seven guys, including the keeper, kind of deep on the right side. So it was not, it was not exactly what Pablo Mastorini was going for. They couldn't possess it and they couldn't get out of their own end. And, and that was by design of, of what Nashville did to force them into that. It almost reminded me of, uh, of Nashville's big win against um, Atlanta United in that first year, 4-2 at home. 
where mm-hmm. they just kept seizing on bad back passes or bad attempts to get into the midfield. And there was just no no bridge from defense to, to midfield. The midfield was not serving as an effective bridge in the attack, and Nashville seized on it. Reminded me a bit of that. Maybe not as hapless from RSL as from Atlanta that day, but nonetheless, the result the same. Um, <laughs> I, did a, I did an image after that Atlanta match of, of Dax McCarty's header goal. And there's not an Atlanta. He's standing on the edge of the six yard goal, jumping at the edge of the six yard box. And there's not an Atlanta defender within like 15 yards of him in any direction. It's so funny. It was amazing because those are not supposed to be goals. Those are supposed to be right. Dax redirecting it into somebody else taller yeah. to score. Yeah. In that case, yeah. it was like, no, I'm just by myself. I, I guess the five six, generously speaking, Dax McCarty's going to score this one. <laughs> that was a great night, and it was bittersweet though, Tim, because that night, of course, there were no fans there, and it would have been a crowning victory for Nashville SC. Yeah. It would have been a, an iconic one. In this case, of course, twenty-seven thousand plus there uh, to see this this team through to the win. Um, there was a lot of, of, of building from the back from Nashville, maybe a bit more than we see. Joe Willis typically averages above the 50th percentile on launch rate in this league. Mm-hmm. He's going to send mm-hmm. most of those goal kicks down the field, but Nashville built out of the back this time around. Willis's second lowest average pass length of the year, and it did what it was supposed to do, which was to create gaps when RSL's offering pressure. It's going to open up you know, space between lines, presumably, by doing that, and, and it worked out for Nashville. Yep. Gary Diola, right? No. The present possessed. No, 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 we'll scrub it. <laughs> the idea is there, though. I got you. <laughs> right. You know, there is a bit of a stigma that Nashville can't play from the back and can't possess, and, and less so that Nashville can't or won't press. And, uh, you know, to be fair, that is that is not something that this team does often. It's not the strength of this team. It's not how they want to win most games. But they've shown it's a club in the bag. They've shown they can win games by pressing and possessing. They've shown they can win games by doing things differently than they're expected to. I know a lot of people who watched precisely one Nashville SC game against New England Revolution back in 2020 thought, oh, this team is a one-trick pony. All they do is sit back and they try to counter. Gary Smith has shown over the past three years that that's not all they can do. Maybe often it's, it's what they want to do, but it's not all they can do. I enjoyed your Charlie Davies subtweet there, by the way. <laughs> Hey, we got it. Um, We're having the ETR guest. We got to have the ETR throwback. Right that's now. fair, Matt. If you're listening to to something other than your segment, yep, we uh, we got your got your uh, your show covered. We'll go we'll go for a Weeby or Goss next. Uh, but but the question I want to ask you in a little bit uh, because we've gotten some questions about this is whether this is going to keep being a you know a, a proverbial club in the bag or whether it's going to become a primary club when Nashville plays at home that that they're going to try to change that identity a little bit once they're on their home turf in front of that fan support. But but in the meantime, let's talk Hani Mukhtar because I think his performance may be overlooked a bit. He didn't find the score sheet. That's now two straight games of him not getting on the score sheet at home after he'd done so in the previous 10 home matches, either a goal or an assist. But he was all over the pitch, Tim. Seven shots, five of them on target. He leads MLS now in shots. Um, he and Sapong teamed up really well, too, as it was Sapong creating three scoring chances, and Ake Loba got in the mix as well and, and sent one over to Hani that put him in a good position at one point. I know fandom is is kind of a results-based charting service. If Hani doesn't score or doesn't get an assist, you say, okay, he didn't play well, but he really hasn't been rewarded, or you could say on the shooting department has not rewarded himself for strong play on a number of occasions this year. But the underlying numbers do indicate that he's been one of the best attacking players so far this year. He's fifth in Major League Soccer in expected goals and 12th in expected assists, according to American Soccer Analysis. But he hasn't converted. He only has the two goals on the year. He only has two assists on the year. He's only slightly undershooting those assists. But that was a pretty significant underachievement in terms of the goals. So 
if he starts to convert and if teammates start to convert at leave league average rates, he could be on the verge of a breakout because over time, kind of expected goals and expected assists are more predictive than the conversion rates that, that do end up happening, that do end up impacting the score sheet. Randall Leal left the match just before halftime with an injury, did not return. We referenced that earlier on the show, and, and hopefully he'll be back in the mix here for Nashville SC soon. But the result was Ake Loba came in. Mm-hmm. Um, what differences did you see in shape and approach as Loba joined kind of that, that you know two-man striker unit with Mukhtar supporting them, but there was a lot of fluidity within that. How did that dynamic work for you? I, I think for me, Ake Loba is showing some signs of positivity at home that he didn't necessarily show consistently on the road early in the season. Yeah, you and I have talked about this, and, and he is a player whose style of play, especially playing for a coach like Gary Smith, is best suited to be playing at home. Um, he's a little bit loose with the ball, for better or for worse. He, he'll take a speculative shot. He didn't take too many speculative shots on Sunday, but he'll give the ball away a little bit, trying stuff, uh, to, to paraphrase Bruce Arena. <laughs> but he, he tries stuff a little maybe too riskily for Gary Smith on the road. But at home, it's fine because you can regenerate those opportunities. And we saw him maybe rein it in even a little bit on Sunday. He wasn't quite as as proactive and and, and try stuffy um, as, as he has been at times in his career. And I think that has been a big part of what has kept him from the field thus far. Um, it was him pushing a bit more forward with Mukhtar dropping back a little bit um, once he did sub on for Randall Leal, who obviously is nominally the striker when he's on the or nominally the winger, excuse me, when he's on the pitch. So there is a little bit more of a different shape, but it's something that I think when you have the opportunity to get CJ and Ake on the field at the same time, you basically have to play them both at striker. I don't think the style of a winger that Loba is, is well suited to be a, a winger when, when he's playing with Sapong. So we'll see mm-hmm. what happens when both of them are, are kind of available and, and playing for a longer stretch of games. But for a, his longest run out so far this year, his tied for his second longest run out ever for this club, it's, it's a positive step forward. Yeah, and you hate to see Leal leave the way he did. It is good to get Loba on the pitch and have that experience. And and later in the show, keep teasing forward here, but we'll uh, we'll give our ideal U.S. Open Cup lineups, and you may or may not hear his name mentioned as a guy that that we'd like to see get some run out against Atlanta United for an oh, extended period. Oh, spoiler of time. alert! We'll both put him in our lineup. Yeah, that was a terrible tease. We just ruined the, <laughs> the effect of that. But people could have guessed that coming in, I guess. Yeah. Stay tuned for the other 10, I guess. Uh, Gold Nuggets, numbers from the win. Nashville SC outshot RSL. The final number, 21-6, to 6, which sounds a bit like a, a, a Titans and uh, and you know Broncos score to cite the team closest to Utah. It's like a Penn State-Iowa score. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a Big Ten, that's true. Or, you know, SEC at half at the end of the first five minutes uh, when Alabama's involved. Um Ten nothing shot count in the first half. That's the one that just stupefied me. Um, and, and the game long twenty one six margin, the second largest shot margin in favor of Nashville in club history, behind only yeah the one you're gonna know the the opener against Cincy mm-hmm. last season where Nashville took thirty two shots and Cincy had like nine. Yeah, the numbers are ugly, but the way it played out was probably even uglier. Their first two shots were a wild Marco Silva attempt inside the box. Then an attempted bomb from Aaron Herrera that was blocked before it even reached the penalty area. So a couple of these shots, you know, a couple of the earliest ones, which came in the second half, (laughs) were were not even remotely, uh, you know, dangerous to Nashville at all. So there wasn't a reasonably dangerous shot until the 60th minute. And as we've already talked about, Nashville did back off a little bit and cede a little bit more possession to RSL late in the match. And that made the numbers look closer than they, they really had any right being because Nashville was dominant from the beginning until they took the lead. It is the 21st straight 
win or draw at home for NSC, dating back to November 4th of 2020, a loss to FC Dallas. Gary Smith, by the way, now one result away from 250 wins plus draws in his managerial career at all levels and in all competitions. If you, uh, yeah, if you want to go back all the way, all the way to Stevenage. Um, I was going to say, we got Stevenage. In Atlanta here. Silverbacks, all of it. Dude, I, I spent a lot of time adding all those numbers up and rechecking them to make sure they're right. And actually, um, Atlanta United on Wednesday is going to be his 150th uh, match as a manager in Nashville at all levels and in all competitions, not counting friendlies. Um, so that, go back to that 21 straight number, though. What's it going to take to beat Nashville at Jodas Park? The crowd's always going to be fierce. The team is clearly energized by that. The best team in the East couldn't do it. I know, I know, I know, small sample size, two matches. But not really, because Nashville had you know, a bunch of matches at Nissan Stadium where they also didn't look beatable. Um, I'm going to set an over-under. 1.5 home MLS losses this year. Not counting U.S. Open Cup, just league losses. 1.5. You taking the over? You taking the under? Oh man, I'm gonna be a wet blanket here. I've, I've got to take the over just because uh, of how rare it is for teams to be that elite. Uh, one or zero losses at home is not something that happens all the time. Nashville and the Colorado Rapids were the only teams that hit that mark last year. Obviously, Nashville undefeated. Colorado went nine, one, and seven at Dick's Sporting Goods Park. Um, it was a bit more common for obvious reasons. Maybe in the COVID year of 2020, teams. Uh, had to fly in and fly out day of, so visiting was very difficult. Um, in 2019, the last fairly normal year we saw, um, there were four teams that had a single home loss. Nobody went undefeated at home in the entire league. So it's possible, but you know, if if the bar is going to be, you know, if I had to sit here and stew over whether I was going to say two or one, that already puts Nashville in a league company, regardless <laughs> of which side of it they end up at. So you're saying this was a hard choice for you to make. This yeah, wasn't an yeah. automatic dump. It's just, dump it's just because so few teams have ever have yeah. ever done it. And yeah. even if Nashville wins the supporter shield this year, they could do that theoretically without meeting this benchmark. It's a with high the, benchmark. Well, yeah, with the parity in this league, I, I completely mm-hmm. agree. And it would not mean a failure to even lose, you know, three or four times at home would not. I mean, that, that's still a great mark because it means you're you're getting right. results in you know 13, 14 matches. Uh, two of the three highest possession matches now for NSC this year have come at home in, in these first two games at Geodas Park. Um, to, to the payoff from one of the teases I gave earlier, can we expect Nashville to continue to carry the play at home? Or are we looking at the fact that, look, Philadelphia is a press team that doesn't always possess. RSL, the third lowest possession team in Major League Soccer coming in. And that drove the fact that Nashville felt like they could take the initiative because those other teams weren't going to. Even in the midst of the, the long road trip, Gary Smith was talking about how his team needed to play a little bit more proactively, he needed to play this more possession-based style of game because that was going to be what they would prefer to do at home. So, um, you know, if you take him at his word, which I think you should, he's never, he's never being misleading. He might change his mind, but he's never intentionally misleading us. But um, I think few sides are going to let Nashville have as much of the ball as Philly did or, or – be as inept at preventing Nashville from having as much of the ball as RSL was, but um, Nashville should be able to do this a little bit more. We obviously saw them press and, and try to possess against Seattle, which is a very difficult place to do it when they're back at home. Um, they should be able to, to do it much better. So I think this will settle in at, as just above 50% possession at home over the course of the year. There will be games where they, they kind of absorb pressure and counter, but I think their, their preferred go-to philosophy at home is going to be to possess as much as possible. And uh, if they're losing possession, perhaps it's because teams are chasing the game against them, uh, because mm-hmm. Nashville has taken earlier leads than they have than they did against. It's, because against because they're going because they're going to go win 
or lose only once this year, just so I'm wrong in the previous question. I don't think anybody listening to this would mind if you were being proven wrong I, on, on that one. You've been right on so many things that you could be wrong on that one. Nobody's going to gonna get mad. You will hear about it, but nobody's going to get mad. <laughs> uh, so we're about to get to, to Matt Doyle uh, and, and really a, a great interview um, for one of the, uh, the foremost voices in Major League Soccer and, and a guy that we listen to every week on MLS Extra Time a couple times a week. Uh, but first, again, we got to talk about ML Rose because, uh, Tim, it, it's, again, really cool to see people exploring and discovering this place um, in situations where we can take credit for that. Uh, there are some who have loved this place forever and are like, oh, they're sponsoring Club and Country. Great, I'll go and pretend I've never been and take a picture and, and tell them about it. Um, <laughs> Which is cool, too. It's great, too. And we had a number of people who were like, oh, they're sponsoring you guys? Great. I I like ML Rose a lot and I tolerate you guys. So that's great. It's a good marriage. Uh, but it's been fun to see people like Kay or, or Carrie coming in town all the way from southern Mississippi. He had one pregame meal, and he spent it at ML Rose. And these people are discovering, Tim, what we've known for a long time, which is that it's a tremendous place to build community, to watch sports. There are games on before Nashville, so you can check it out, whether you're wallowing in the Preds' misery um, <laughs> or, or watching any number of, of other sporting events. I'm a big baseball guy. they got multiple TVs, and you can find one that's showing what you want to watch. I went there for this double-A tournament. It was perfect for that. Um, but more importantly, going back to the idea of community, it's a place to gather and get together for road matches or with friends before a match and make memories. Uh, as many memories were made at Jodas Park, um, <laughs> a lot of those memories started or ended at ML Rose too. And it's neat to hear from people who are having those experiences. Yeah. And we, you know, we, we really drill home the point and I think we try to make this podcast, not just Wes and Tim talk to each other, but we want to make sure that the people who listen feel like they're part of it. And that, that extends to the sponsorship too. We want people to feel like they can go to ML Rose and feel like they belong there and feel like, um, you know, it's part of, of being part of the club and country community is to be part of the ML Rose community as well. Part of the, part of the ritual of going to Geodas Park may include going to ML Rose both before and after, or you can choose which one you would prefer to do, but you have to do one or the other at least. <laughs> but that's, but that's what we want to hear people doing. And we, and we love when you guys reach out and let us know that you have done that. It, warms our hearts and then makes us very happy to see that that people um, are, are kind of following through on this community of, of soccer fans who are making ML Rose their place. I was at ML Rose um, actually when we were in discussion with them for the sponsorship, but I went just to go because I like it. I, I like going there. Um, and I was talking to the bartender and I was interested. Like, is this a good place to work? I know it's a good place to eat. Are you happy here? And I didn't ask it in so many words, but I was like, yeah, you know, what's it like working here? And she was like, the, the people care. Like, the owners really care about this community. They care about local craft beer and putting that on and supporting local businesses. Mm. And that made me feel good. I mean, you know, we, we were still in discussion, and we were at a point where we could have said, ah, I don't know, it sounds like we're hearing some crap about you guys that's not too flattering. No, it, it reinforced the decision based on what that bartender was saying. And that's good to know, too. You know, I think we are driven not just by value, but also by our values as, as consumers, as individuals, um, as soccer fans even. And uh, this is a place you can be proud to get behind. And you can show up again Wednesday night uh, at 3 o'clock is when it all start, going up until kickoff at 7. But understand many of you are going to go because you want to go to the U.S. Open Cup game afterward. I'm in that boat too. I'm going to stay for a couple hours, leave around 5.45 or so, walk over to the match. We're going to give away a couple tickets to Montreal. Uh, can't wait to spend time with you at MROs. And, uh, and enjoy the pregame festivities. And enjoy right, a dollar off beer, liquor, wine, and appetizers. That's it. Thank you for grabbing that key talking point and uh, putting it in there as well. All right, here is Matt Doyle. 
Well, if you follow Major League Soccer, you have read the words or listened to the words of Matt Doyle, whether you knew it or not, and you probably knew it because he is one of the best-known analysts of Major League Soccer, writing for MLSsoccer.com, appearing on MLS Extra Time, one of the preeminent voices in this league, (laughs) and we appreciate, Matt, your time joining us to talk Nashville SC on a historic stretch for the boys in gold and also a little bit of league-wide action. Yeah, thank you. It's it's uh, it's good to be here. Who are the other preeminent uh, <laughs> analysts uh, or MLS league wide analysts? None like, of them like have what, an armchair, so we're not even worried about them, right? It's true, <laughs> guys. I don't just have an armchair. I there's now this this account, this anonymous account on Twitter that I I have no idea who runs it, who identifies himself as armchair analyst Ottoman. And he, he harasses, he harasses team accounts that don't put out good lineup graphics, which is like, like God's work though. It really is. It, like I could not have drawn this uh, better. And I, I literally, I have nothing to do with it. I have no idea who runs this account. But if, if you're a Nashville fan and you're out there listening to this, thank you. You were, you are doing as he, as, as Tim said, you're doing God's work. <laughs> that is fantastic. You might say that his motto could be "There is trouble afoot" if you don't put out a good. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, oh, that was oh boy, that's oh, terrible. We'll get into the <laughs> empirical data that the Ottoman uses. Um, anyway. Uh, Matt, one question that's always interested me is, is we're both longtime readers of your work. You write about 5,000 words, maybe more, about every match week. Um, you're offering deep analysis, tactical demonstrations and video examples, candid opinions. But this is a league that plays 12 games at a time sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does a 12-game Saturday or, or a busy Sunday look like at your place? How are you, how are you watching this action? How are you ingesting and, and, more importantly, digesting this stuff in real time? Yeah, so it, it's tough, right? And and it's it, it. I will say upfront that if I did not have access to stuff like Second Spectrum and uh, you know True Media data, I would not be able to offer uh, the type of analysis I do. And because I have access to that, this job has you know what like as the workload has gotten larger, the job has kind of gotten easier in that regard because like if you just if you know what numbers to look for from a from a game report you can go in there and turn a 90 minute process of watching a game into like a 25 minute process you know 20 for for certain games or zero if it's nycfc sporting kc this week so like just having that makes it easier the day after the games to go in there and actually get a good feel for what happened but so uh, on like a Saturday game day, the, the games are usually staggered enough where you could watch four games in in their entirety mm-hmm. as they happen. And then for like the 730 games, I'll usually like three or four on it. One really can't go more than three and have any idea what's going on. Um, but so I'll usually do three at once and, you know, watch them quote unquote in their entirety to one degree or another. And then, you know, Sunday morning I wake up and the, and the process starts in terms of writing and watching. You know, usually I'll have I'll do one or two more full 90s on Sunday morning um, when I wake up. And then there are these 15 minute game packs. And like I said, using Opta or Second Spectrum to um, to jump into games that I already have watched or need to um, watch for the first time and use that to sort of cut down on the amount of work. And then Sunday's games, like they're never competing game or almost never competing games on Sunday. So whatever's on on Sunday, I'll just be able to watch the whole damn thing. Um, But it ends up being, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's more than 12 hours each day. It's, it's probably, it's probably 14 hour days back to back. So it's, it's, and it's my weekend and um, you know, it's kind of insane uh, that that's my weekend 35 times a year. But I, before I had this job, I worked real jobs and uh, this kicks the hell out of any real job I've ever had. So I'll keep working those 14 hours Saturdays and 14 hours Sundays um, because the alternative is much, 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 much worse. So on those on those 14 hour weekend days, what have you seen out of Nashville, not just this year, but in terms of the three year progression, I guess, to get to the point where they are? Are they a team that's continuing to impress you or are they a team that you still need to see more out of? It's, it's both, right? Uh, like they, they are still impressive in the way that they have been impressive since day one, right? It's super organized. They have um, some real skill through midfield. They have the, the very best center back in the league and a couple other guys who are, are I think, very good. Um, and they're dangerous on the break. And to, you know, if, if this is all Nashville ever is under the, the current regime, it's still a 55 point team, you know? And like, I, I hope that the fan base is not taking it for granted because like I, I was a, I was a Metro stars fan back in, back in another life. Um, and we would, we would have killed to have consistent 55 point teams. Um, we, yeah, I sat through some unbearable soccer and while I don't think anybody is going to accuse Nashville of being, um, the most aesthetically pleasing team in the world, uh, you know, it, they win <laughs> or they, they draw, they don't lose. Um, <laughs> they, they have some fun guys to watch. Uh, they are more good than bad. Um, so I, I think that that is what has impressed me where they have more work to do. Uh, well, you guys know the answer to that defending set pieces and being a little bit more creative and a little bit more inventive with the ball. It can't just be all um, playing against the ball and the counter. And there have been times, you know, I think the this, this stretch run in 2020 and then maybe a decent chunk of last year in the middle of the season where this team was actually starting to use the ball. And I, I, I went on my podcast and I said, no, you, you guys don't understand. Nationals, you know, turning a new leaf and they're, they're, they're you know, trying to, to be more than – uh, you know, sit and counter. Um, but this year uh, they have not tried that yet. And, and I need to see that they can do that. And then I need to see that they have enough firepower to actually make that work and turn into goals. And that, that is a massive open question. So, I mean, you say that it's not aesthetically pleasing. I say I've already made a Pep Gariola pun on this <laughs> very episode of this podcast. It's true. He has. <laughs> Woo! I assume you guys were a little bit drunk for that one, my goodness. <laughs> just, just mildly so, actually. Believe it or not, we can bust this crap out sober. Um, you know, you say that this Nashville team has not, has not, as, as you just mentioned, been the most aesthetically pleasing team. How much of that do you attribute to just being on the road for those eight straight? Now that they've come home, they, they, they outshoot our RSL 21 to six. We're not going to pretend RSL is, is probably a supporter shield contender this year, but nonetheless, you know, once they're home, now that they've had a couple of matches where they've been a little more, a little more proactive, they've won possession against a union team and an RSL team that typically do lose the possession battle. But mm-hmm. do you see a little more punch out of this Nashville team? And do you think based on the fact that they put together that record setting extended season opening road trip, and now they're coming to a place at home where they've not lost, of course, this year, but also didn't lose at home last year. Is it a team you could see sneaking into supporter shield consideration? 
I, I still think they need another attacking piece to be in that elite conversation. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, to answer the first question you asked there, I think a lot of the against the ball, I'm not going to call it negativity, but like the, the very, you know, clear cut, we're going to sit and we're going to counter um, and we don't care about having the ball. I, a lot of that stuff that we've seen this year, I think does come from playing on the road for the first eight games. And I don't blame Gary Smith at all for, for making that decision, but I think it's hard to flip a switch and to go from that to carrying the game and, you know, attacking teams with the ball, which I, I think the, the onus is on them to do that. When, when you have 17 of your final 26 at home, you, you're not going to be able to, to bunker your way to, you know, constant one nils uh, for the rest of the season. Like you're going to have to go out there and, and use the ball a little bit. And you're right. They have been better at that. I think there were times and especially in that first half against the union um, where they were putting the union under real pressure uh, with the ball. And, and obviously they, they carried the vast majority of the play uh, against, uh, against RSL, but they're not, turning that into goals from the run of play. And that's where the question is. Like it, it, if Hani Mukhtar is your only A-level threat, um, and, and clearly, I mean, that's the case right now, uh, then are you going to be able to become the type of team that has, you know, 55% possession and uses that to end up on 65 points? And if you're talking about them, you know, maybe – pushing into the supporter shield race. Well, that's the type of team you have to talk about, right? 60 points doesn't get you a supporter shield anymore. It's not 2015, 2016 teams really go for it. now, and, You know, we've seen that in the, the points totals and the points per game totals uh, over the last few years. So it's to me with the current personnel, unless Akai Loba, something clicks and he suddenly looks like a $7 million striker. Um, the, the current personnel probably isn't good enough to do that. But I've been wrong about stuff before, you know, so maybe, you know, maybe CJ's got a 18 goal season in him. Maybe, you know, Alex Mawil coming off that, you know, right wing back is able to, to jump inside and, and have a, you know, six goal, 14 assist year just catches fire. I, I don't think those things, can, you know, are going to happen, um, but they're within the realm of, of possibility. Uh, but like I said, I, I think that they're just a cut below the the very best teams in the league. When you look at some of those things, for example, Ake Loba not quite being the player that I think Mike Jacobs thought he signed when he signed him. Do you see a, a specific philosophy, especially in terms of, of build that Nashville has gone for that that might, I mean, I mean, everybody says SKC because that's where Mike Jacobs came from. But do you see a philosophy that, from within the league that they're trying to go for? Well, I mean, it, it's... In terms of playing philosophy, it's much less sporting Kansas City than it is, like, I would say classic Ziggy Schmidt style, um, you know, even before the crew, uh, when, when he, Ziggy liked to have a team of, like, big, strong dudes and one really um, fantastic playmaker. And like, that's what it looks like to me. Um, and then within that build, the philosophy was very clearly, I, you know, I wrote a column last week um, leading up to CCL about how the Sounders have built and maintained such a great team over the, the past 14 years, 13, 14 years. And what it comes down to is you, you want to get a core 
of really good MLS veterans. And then you have to slowly add to and subtract from that core. Like you have to be ruthless about it when guys age out, can't do it anymore. And you have to be proactive about it when like, okay, we get a a DP and we add to that, you know, we want to make sure that he's integrated and he's part of that core. We have a draft pick. We have a a homegrown kid. We make a trade. We sign a TAM player. And the Sounders have been unreal good at that. Um, In Nashville, very clearly, I think pointedly went out and got that core. Walker Zimmerman, Joe Willis, Daniel Lovitz, Dax McCarty, Annabelle Godoy. Like those guys are still there. Um, And that is the philosophy with, with, with building this team. Now, what they haven't been able to do is find that second high level DP um, and integrate them into the core. I mean, very obviously, Hani Mukhtar is part of that core now. I think Randall Layal is finally sort of evolving into the type of player who's like a core piece for a really good team. Um, and like, so just philosophically, that is, that is what I'm seeing. And I think it's very clearly the right way to build a very good team in order to become a great team though. You, you, you got to hit big uh, on, on your big signings. As two people who are familiar with that assessment and the column you wrote about Seattle, I think we would wholeheartedly embrace that that notion that this was a club that was uniquely built to win international competition and make history as they did last week. And everybody outside of Portland maybe was thrilled that they were able to to get the monkey off their back and do that. I want to ask you, obviously we agree they were uniquely built for this, but is this a sign maybe of MLS rising to, to being a league that can regularly pull this off and compete on the global stage? Or is it just a Seattle team that was built for a great moment like this and we're going to go another 20 years without experiencing one of these moments? I genuinely think that um, we're, we're going to see more of that. And in large part, uh, it's for two reasons. One is young American players are better than ever before. Almost every team in the league has a pipeline of talent coming through uh, their academy. Not, you know, not everyone's going to have a 16-year-old Obed Vargas to throw on the field in, in, in a huge moment like Seattle did. But every team's getting contributors. And that means more depth. That's like just easy depth to integrate into your team um, in large part, because a lot of these kids have been part of the team in one level or another since the time they were 10 years old. It's a new era. It's a new dawn for MLS in that regard. That's one. Two is I genuinely think that front offices are getting smarter. I think that there are more smart people running MLS teams than there have been at any point in the past. And, and, I mean, that just means more institutional know-how. That means uh, better understanding of how to build rosters to compete across multiple fronts. Uh, And that means they're hiring smarter coaches. So if you have all three of those boxes checked, I I think you're going to start to see, I mean, you know, from Mm -hmm. what 2007 to, to 2017, there were two finalists. And since 2018, there have been three finalists in six years if one of them won. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like it, we're going to see that continue to accelerate, especially because the cap is going to steadily go up over the next five seasons as well. And then who knows what happens after 2027. When you look at what Seattle has been able to do in CCL, it's very impressive. When you look at where they stand currently in the Western conference standings, it's less impressive. And uh, a juggling act is, has been something that's been very difficult for a lot of teams. We've seen, um, mm-hmm. you know, Toronto from a few years back struggle with it. Uh, New England might just not be the team this year that they were last year, but they struggled with balancing CCL in the early season schedule in MLS. 
with open cups starting this week and looking at, at, or I guess for Nashville, it started last last round for a lot of MLS teams, but with Nashville entering the MLS cup or the open cup, excuse me, this week, how do you see teams balancing that sort of competition? Is it something where I, I guess most of them probably blow it off? Do you think a team can go for both us open cup and supporter shield, for example, and, and, you know, stay healthy, stay, stay successful in both of those competitions? Yeah. I mean, we've seen teams win the double before, right? Like, like it's not, it's not impossible to do. It's hard. You need to have the right kind of team to do it. Um, You need to, I think have obviously depth, but then also like veteran know-how that, that sort of keeps the locker room steady through the ups and downs and the travel. And then luck of the draw helps if you end up flipping the coin and uh, you get in all home games in the open cup, which is entirely possible. um, That makes it, that makes the path a lot easier. Um, I think some teams will uh, trot out their, their C team regardless uh, because they, they just see it as just not worth it. Like if you, you know, if you're a team that's like just barely fighting for a playoff spot, the open cup could be more of a curse than a blessing, right? Like, like nobody gets, nobody gets fired for, well, that's not true, but like, as you say, nobody gets fired for a bad open cup performance, but like we saw that last year with, with, with like, well, it wasn't open. It was Canadian championship. It was Mark Dos Santos, his last game for Vancouver. Maybe more of a final straw thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That was, that was definitely a final straw type of thing. Um, But it's look, it's hard, but a, a team like Nashville that actually does have depth and does have, a $7 million striker who just, you know, maybe just needs to see the ball go into the back of the net. Like, I don't think Nashville is in any danger of uh, missing the playoffs. I think this is a team that at worst finishes like sixth in the Western Conference um, and would also probably really like to have continental play and a mm-hmm. trophy. So for a team like Nashville, it actually makes a hell of a lot of sense um, to, to go all in on the open cup this year. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if that's where the priority is, uh, but it's, it's something that um, I think is probably on the radar for front office and coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Last one for me, which is uh, obviously the, the primary transfer window closed uh, just last week, but you know, many people, including uh, MLSsoccer.com's own Tom Bogert have, have talked a lot about. It. We shared a couple of beers with Tom uh, just a week and a half ago. So, so um, but, uh, you know, have talked about Shaq Moore with Nashville SC. Do you think a right back can be a difference maker if that's the sort of player that Nashville brings in when the next window opens uh, in just a few weeks here? I mean, I think Shaq Moore is a, he's a really good player. I know that one thing that, that Gary Smith has really wanted uh, or did really want this offseason, and I assume still really wants, is um, a, a right back or I guess a right wing back if he sticks with the, you know, the back five who can really cross the ball. Like better crossing from that spot is something that was high on his offseason wish list. Shaq Moore is an excellent crosser of the ball. Um, he hasn't always shown it with, with the U.S. national team, um, but he has in spurts. And then if you just, you know, look at his numbers from, uh, you know, from Spain, uh, he's a really good crosser of the ball. So I think he would help. I, I don't know if he's a difference between being, you know, a 58 point team, and a 65 point team. Um, but, you know, he, he, he would be, I think one of the best 
in the league at his position. And once you start stacking guys like that, guys who are among the very best in the league at their position, you start talking about a team um, that can that can win a heart, you know, win a trophy, whether it be Open Cup, Supporters Shield, uh, or MLS Cup. We could talk about Nashville SC with you for two hours or any MLS team for, for about 20, 30 minutes. So we'll, we'll close with this, though, and let you get back to your evening. Uh, you analyze every team uh, in depth mm-hmm. in this league from a tactical standpoint or just personal entertainment. Which team in this league do you enjoy analyzing the most when you're sitting down with those three games at once on a Saturday? Who are you excited to watch? So I am like naturally inclined towards teams that have more of the ball. So LAFC, NYCFC, um, Dallas now under Nico Estevez, those are three teams that really, uh, you know, pop into my head first thing. Um, I like watching beyond that. I like watching really well-drilled teams. Um, So, you know, there's not a lot of neutrals who love watching the Sounders, um, but I, I like watching the Sounders because you look at how, really well drilled they are especially in defensive transition just watching them snap right back into that those banks of four or not get like you're kind of a sicko if you like that but like i i like watching that <laughs> um you know philly and the red bulls are the same way i, I actually think nashville is kind of the same thing as well and then on top of it like look I, I'm, I'm a u.s national team fan you know i had been following the national team for you know god almost 40 years um, and so teams that have guys who, who resonate with the national team, who have a, a place in the national team that appeals to me as well. Um, and, and, you know, finding the next potential, uh, national team player, that's something that, uh, is a pastime, I think of all national team fans of all nationalities, uh, around the entire world. Well, Matt, thanks so much for your time. Uh, you can find Matt on MLS Extra Time, MLSsoccer.com, the armchair analyst. Thanks for spending time with us, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you again some other time. Boys, it was a good chat. Talk soon. Thanks, thanks Matt. Tim, great stuff for Matt, as always. He's been very frank in his analysis of what Nashville's done and, and continues to be very honest that this is a team that, yeah, has a lot to celebrate in the new stadium. It's going to be tough to beat there. But is it going to be enough? Is there enough firepower to push as far in the postseason as they want to push? And we heard Matt say it may take a little more from Nashville to get mm-hmm. from a great team and, and a legendary year three expansion team to something uh, that, that wins a trophy. Yeah, and obviously you and I try to be as, as kind of cold-hearted analytical, well, maybe more me than you, but try to be as cold-hearted analytical as we can. But when, it, when we hear it from a third party who kind of gives us not just – uh, the unemotional take, but also the, the perspective that he has of, mm-hmm. of viewing the whole league and having viewed the whole league basically since 1996. Matt is older than you and I. Well, it brings me great pleasure to report. So <laughs> that does give him the experience to, to know what these things mean and to know how the league has inv- evolved into the sort of league where Nashville is close, but, but maybe there is a little bit more to push. Let's head to the mailbag, and we'll get a question from Stooks Be Hugging Strangers in the supporter section. Uh, he says, is it real? Have I actually watched two matches in Jodas Park? Did the fans really show up and show out? Did the team look pretty good out there, or was it all a dream? Please tell me I haven't dreamed this whole thing up. No, it's incredible. After the long journey it took to get here, you are more than forgiven for not trusting your senses. It really is real. This is not just a fantasy at this point. Wyatt, is 10 games still a small sample size? Look at that. We're getting we're getting made fun of for being the SQ <laughs> we're the small sample, small size, sample size podcast. <laughs> 
Tim, what do we know about this team at this point? Do we know enough? Is there enough now to, to make some proclamations here? We're starting to get a, a, a significant feel on 10 games in, but there are still small sample size caveats, not because we don't know about Nashville, but because of the strength of schedule outliers like Austin, for example. I think they've got East Nashville Magnet on their schedule this weekend. So No, it's Cane Ridge. It's Cane Ridge. Okay, there we go. Yeah. And, and you have the home road imbalances. We don't know how good Nashville is going to be at, at home. We have seen some pretty good evidence that they, they will be very good. I think the bigger picture is we can take what we've learned this year. And if it kind of confirms what we learned over the course of last year, we can say, okay, we, we basically trust that that's still the case. If it contradicts what we learned last year, um, I think, you know, for example, Hani Mukhtar bad at finishing. I think last year taught us that was not the case. No. Um, FC, FC Dallas very good at soccer. Last year has taught us that we might need more evidence to know if they have really <laughs> improved to that to that degree. We have to still wait and see what is a mirage and what is going to continue. And even if we can make educated guesses in some of those regards, we are still in small sample size. I'm sorry. <laughs> FC Cincinnati, a top five team. Eh, we'll see. Uh, Wyatt, to what can we attribute the improved performance for Alex Wheel? And has he solidified his starting role? And Chris Hole with that as well, going tactically into Nashville's goal. How much credit does Alex Wheel deserve for throwing off the RSL keeper right before Walker slash Romney's rebound shots? I mean, call me Gary Smith because I've long been a huge Alex Mill appreciator. He's never going to be the most technical or, or beautiful player out there. Sorry, Alex. But, but, he, but he works his ass off. He's willing to take on less glamorous roles if it's what the team needs on a given day. And piggyback, piggybacking on Chris's question specifically, he's underappreciated maybe when it comes to some of those subtle dark arts too, which is something that in Major League Soccer you really do need. Oh, yeah. You need a little darkness in you, for sure, especially late in matches. Uh, Gary Smith told told me last week he thought the Philadelphia match might have been Wheel's best wingback performance yet. I think he's growing in to that role, for sure. Wesley Bryant, is the he says east side. It's actually going to be the south side of the pitch. He says, cursed for us. We've hit the post on that side like 12 times in two games, has zero goals there. And the fact is that my seats, the fact that it's where my seats are is not relevant, he says. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure, uh, Wesley. Great name again, by the way. Uh, Nashville has outshot opponents 19-4 to when going that direction in the first halves of the last two games. All four of those shots uh, on the other end came from, from Philadelphia, by the way. 60% possession on the south end. Uh, so that's first half possession for the team with the third lowest average possession in the Western conference, eight shots on target, zero goals to show for it. But Tim, there's more to it than that. Of course. Yeah. Nashville has been a second half team, um, four first half goals and, and seven second half goals. So uh, maybe they just need to lose the coin toss and have the opponent try to throw them off to, hit, yeah. to try and mess with their mojo a little bit. But last year it was 25 first half and 30 second half goals. So either you're due or, or you need them to lose that toss. Like I mentioned, but, I mean, it was 19 to 16 in favor of the first half last year when you only look at home games. And you, when you think that through, it's because they would get a lead and then they would kind of sit on that lead a little bit in the second half, as, as we've talked about a little bit um, earlier in the podcast. But, but maybe you're due. I, I think in the name of optimism, uh, Wesley, you are you are due to see a couple goals in your end pretty soon. I'll just pretend you're talking to both of us when you when you <laughs> refer to Wesley. Uh, Chris Hole. Hey, hey, that's, 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 that's our press box end too, baby. <laughs> it's true. That's true. Yeah, maybe that's it. They're just not wanting to give us a nice, a nice view of that of that uh, first first half goal. Chris Hole, Dax McCarty, man of the match performance. I, I think you could pick worse candidates. I think you could maybe pick a couple better ones, but but Dax created two chances. He had the most passes in the attacking half. He won seven of his ten duels, which was the job. Tim was to mm-hmm. repress, and he did his job perfectly. I'll ask you, who was your man of the match? Yeah, Dax was outstanding, but I'm a sucker for a defender goal for one thing. I'm always always a sucker for a lefty, as you know very well. Uh, we have talked about Same. this before. I'm a Same. big sucker for a lefty because we both are. Um, Dave's was 
a quiet day statistically, but he was such a big part of Nashville allowing just 0.27 expected goals, according to American Soccer Analysis, which is the 10th lowest for any team in the league this year. And of course, when you score a game winner, um, ugly goal, though it may have been uh, for the for the radio commentators there, but it's something that it, it that is what determines who wins the game. I think that's pretty important. Yes. Yeah, it seems to be. It tends to be. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Wyatt, Luke Hawkinson always seems to be a difference maker. Uh, I'll add uh, editorially, yeah, especially when it comes to getting yellow cards per minute and or amazing yeah, yeah. goals late in games. Immediately when it comes on, I, I was dumbfounded that it didn't happen Sunday. <laughs> I know. it's He's either going to score, get an assist, or get a yellow card. Maybe all three. Uh, but Wyatt asks, what's his future looking like at Nashville Soccer Club? First of all, what would be the Gordie Howe hat trick version of that? Secondly, uh, to answer the actual question, um, he seems like a guy who's always going to be good enough to play in MLS and, and potentially be a difference maker in MLS, but never so good that you worry that he's going to come and kind of be poached in the transfer market by a European team. And, and frankly, that's Nashville's wheelhouse, I would say. In the long term, he may ultimately want to go elsewhere for, for more money or playing time if Nashville continues on the trajectory that we've seen them take these first couple of years. There may not be a role for him to become a starter, and he might want to, to step in and step away from the super sub role that he's in right now with the occasional start. I think that's a pretty good spot for the future. Maybe Wednesday we'll see him pick up that first start of the season. John Mueller, did Dave spare RSL's blushes with his finish? What consequence would there have been an NSC not scored there? And should there still have been something, even though the goal counted? And we'll reference, there was a shot from Walker Zimmerman that was saved off the line, as you heard earlier from iHeartRadio. And it was saved with a hand. Uh, (laughs) And and the only question really, Tim, is whether that was in a natural position or whether the hand was, was outstretched. It looked to me like maybe that's a penalty. You know, if it's above the shoulder, and, and I don't know if you're like halfway horizontal or at a 45-degree angle, what counts. But I think the rule book is pretty unequivocal, though. Denying a goal with a handball, even if it's unintentional, even if you're close to a natural position, if you're making the frame of your body bigger with that hand, it's an automatic red card and a penalty. It's a denial of a goal scoring. Uh, it's not a denial of a goal scoring opportunity. It's a denial of a goal scored, I think it's called in the rule book. I looked mm. it up earlier. Forget precisely the term. So it's not dogs, yeah. though. It's just dogs. Yeah, yeah. It's just dogs. Love them. Um, <laughs> but that's what that's what would have been called had had Dave's shot, you know, gone over the bar or something. It, it, if it had needed to go back to video assistant replay, that might have happened. But um, you know, the, the rule book is very clear that that would have been uh, denial of a goal and and a penalty kick. Brian Miller, what is our confidence meter in Nashville's ability to survive multiple injuries on the front line? Ake still finding his way, but seemed off our best in the second half without Randall. Reverted to balls over the top that didn't connect. Is Hawk and Zubak a best answer? Yeah, we'll see how long Teal Bunbury remains out. Gary Smith said it'll be a couple more weeks at least. Because he was brought in with the intention of being first off the bench at, at multiple positions. Uh, for now, assuming any of Mukhtar Leal, uh, knock on wood that we get good news about Randall Leal uh, in, within the next couple of days here. Yeah. But uh, him or CJ Sapong, if any of them get injured, there's no similar quality replacement for Mukhtar, but you can kind of do maybe a little bit of replacement by committee there with Handwala Buana, Luke Hawkinson, Ake Loba, Ethan Zubak. There are enough pieces there that you can that you can be satisfied with what you have, and you, even if you can't replace the overall quality of a guy like Mukhtar or a guy like Leal. Sean White asking the other question that we've teased for, for a good bit of today. What is your projected U.S. Open Cup lineup? I'll give you mine. I, I think there's some rotation here. I, I don't think there's as much, though, as you might think. Nashville's not playing the Richmond kickers, um, and they do value this competition. And they're playing Atlanta, and they're playing at home, and I think they want to reward the home fans. 
Uh, with that in mind, I think we see Joe Willis play again. I, I'm going to say that until Joe Willis doesn't play. He's played every minute in this club's history. There's never been a, an Open Cup situation, though, so maybe they rotate. I don't think they do. I think they start with stability. To that end, I think it's still the 3-4-3, and I think it's still the three center backs. I think Romney, Zimmerman, and Mayer get the start. Um, Taylor Washington, left wing back, rotating in for Lovitz. As you remember, Nashville does have to play against Saturday against Houston. So the guys with, with high-running jobs mm. on each of the wings, I think, switch out. So Washington on the left, I think Eric Miller comes in on the right. That gives you some stability there against Atlanta's attack. I think Dax is out. Godoy's been out. Anyway, the last couple games, we see Anunga come in. Sean Davis is an Iron Man. Why not play him again and, and, and have that connection to the normal 11? Um, and then for the attack, I'm going to go with Ake Loba up top, as we teased. Uh, I think you reward Hawkinson with a start, uh, as good as he looked late against uh, against RSL, and let's put Hani Mukhtar in there. I, I think I think Hani plays. Uh, I think he's proven he has the legs. He might just go forty five to sixty minutes, but but I mm-hmm. like Hani getting the start there. What do you think? It's Brian Meredith's time, baby. We we got, we got to get somebody other than Joe Willis some minutes. Not and that's nothing against Joe, who's an outstanding keeper, but. He also he has to rest a little bit here and there. I know I know he doesn't have the most running intensive job, but and then I'm actually going to switch to the four two three one that we've seen Nashville go with at times um, already this year. It was kind of the base formation for large portions of, of 2020 and, and sometimes in 2021. But Taylor Washington, Dave Romney, I'm resting Walker Zimmerman, and that's Jack Mayer stepping in for him as the right center back, and Eric Miller on the right. We've got the same fullbacks at the very least. I guess here's our wingbacks, but. Uh, like you, I have uh, Todd Bryan and Nunga in there. I have Dax McCarty in there. He's been somewhat rested, That's uh, true. both both because of his suspension and because um, he has been rested in, in a classical sense as well. I've got Hendwala Buana and Randall Leal, if he's healthy. Otherwise, like you, I'm going to have to stick uh, Hani Mukhtar in there. And Luke Hawkinson in my midfield, attacking midfield line of three. And then both of us, Ake Loba up top. It's time for time for the big Ivorian to get a couple goals and get some confidence, and maybe he can bring that to the to the regular season play as well. We'd love to see Loba um, get a goal, get some confidence, delight the fans. I think if Daniel Rios is still around, you run a four four two in this one. You put him and Rios up there together and, and give those guys a look. Obviously, if Bunbury's healthy, he probably factors in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, may may Daniel Rios rest in Charlotte. Uh, a team that's playing well. So go outside in. We're going to talk about a team that's playing really well, and that is, well, at least internationally, not in MLS play, the Seattle Sounders. They've won CONCACAF Champions League. The sacrifice has been worth it. They're toward the bottom of the table in the West, almost by design. Not that they were trying to lose those games, but because they were focused on winning CCL. And finally, for the first time in its current iteration, we have a CCL champion in MLS who's going to be playing in the Club World Cup. It was just an amazing night last week, Tim, as it was it was briefly in doubt because of a couple of early injuries. But yeah. once Seattle went up, they really took control. Yeah, and the, losing John Paulo in the first half is is you would think worst case scenario, and then they yeah. continued to have injuries. So to see the Sounders be able to to kind of regroup a little bit and say we are still the better team in this tie which is something that mls teams have never been able to do in in the final against a league mx team and go out and win it resoundingly and go out and say hey maybe this isn't a referendum on the quality difference between the leagues finally equalizing or mls passing league mx perhaps but but on the day we are the better team and we are a deserving winner and and finally somebody's carrying the torch for mls and we got to pour one out 
uh, for, for both the joyful tears and the champagne spilled by Andrew Weeby. Um, obviously, <laughs> all the idea. extra time guys, including our guests t- uh, tonight, uh, Matt Doyle, have been waiting for this for a really long time. Happy yeah. for those guys just because they've been, uh, you know, talking about the, the free space being disappointment for so many years as well. Enjoy talking uh, with Matt about that earlier today as well. You can just hear the joy. And Matt would tell you he's not a naturally, inherently joyful person. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but when folks like that are delighted and not just the weebies of the world uh, that would smile at about anything, I think uh, that it's a special time for this league. And and we discuss whether that you know raises the profile of this league or whether it's a one-off. And I think you know we would agree that it's it's a sign of a of a rising trend of this league competing. Um, and you, because of it, you very well may see Seattle versus Liverpool in the Club World Cup. We'll see how the matchups all pan out. Yeah, I, I, saw, I, there, saw, I saw like a ESPN FC or something, power rankings, and Seattle was like number five, you know, just behind Liverpool or something like that. And I was like, let's not get out ahead of our skis We here, can okay? pump the brakes a little, <laughs> yeah. just a little, and still be very excited, which we both are. Uh, the U.S. Open Cup continues. Of course, we talked about that in Nashville's context, playing Atlanta, but there are several other very intriguing matchups, Tim. Um, are there any U.S. Open Cup sets that you foresee coming down the pipeline? Wes, I'm going to do you one better. I will do pick. It. I will pick probably terribly, but pick every single game that includes at least one non-MLS team with the MLS teams that are playing each other. Obviously, you can flip a coin about who cares on the night, who sure. care, who who's sure. better on the night, all those sorts of things, but. Louisville City over Detroit City FC. Um, shout out to Louisville City, who is, I think, a lot of people in Nashville's USL team before Nashville had a USL mm-hmm. team. So shout out to those guys. Uh, I am going with a big upset. I'm going with South Georgia Tormenta over Inter-Miami. We've Me did, too. Yeah, we've not only got a League One team into the round of 16, because we are going to have another one of those, because there's a League One on League One matchup, but they're beating an MLS team. Very exciting times. I'm glad I have now cursed it for you guys. Um, so, but I have a, uh, most of the other ones are going to be uh, MLS teams doing the expected Charlotte over the Richmond kickers, mm-hmm. New York city FC over Rochester, not rhinos, whatever. They'll whatever always be the rhinos under Jamie Vardy union Omaha versus uh, Northern Colorado Hailstorm is the other uh, game that is guaranteed to get a league one team through. I have union Omaha winning because uh, they have the cool owl mascot. And because I think Hailstorm really, kind of built up for that that first ever match i think it was the first competitive match and uh it's something that i I think they they kind of uh you know spent their emotional energy on that one um i actually also have san antonio fc over houston dynamo um hopefully that's a very competitive match from a nashville sc perspective because that will wear out the dynamo in the midweek from phoenix rising over sacramento republic and the la galaxy taking care of business against cal united strikers fc so only on this podcast will you learn the launch rate, comparative launch rate of Joe Willis in goal and the psychological <laughs> mindset of the Northern Colorado hailstorm. That is what we discuss. And that is why if you stuck around this long, you're true fans of our work. <laughs> and because you were that diehard, we'll tell you again, go to ML, ML Rose and tell people about us. Since apparently you'll do anything we say if you're still listening at this point. <laughs> These are the true ones. These are the ones you get the ROI from for sure. Let's go into the final whistle now and uh, talk about the 440 Sports Football League. Uh, there's a rising team in the standings. It's not me. I dropped from fourth to fifth after an okay week. Tim had a better week than I did. Tim, you're in 27th. Are people Woo-hoo! just not checking their rosters anymore? Did you Moving check up. your lineup? I, I I did, but I made some poor decisions because I didn't check to make sure everybody would be playing. Gustavo Bo has been injured. Mm. I started him. Mm. DNP, no points from that striker position. Pretty tough, but... 
without that, I was feeling really good. You know, Captain Paul Ariola gets you 22 points. You're feeling pretty good. But um, I've already set my lineup for this week. So I will not forget if I do horribly this week, I'm on the record as saying it is on my own merits. <laughs> I'm not on forgetting to set my lineup. Tim, if a team has a two-match week and those matches are against Cincinnati and Vancouver, you should play three, the maximum three from that team, right? I would advise this, yes. Yeah, it, wrong, apparently. Yeah. My roster would tell you. Guess Toronto. what? Guess what? That's one of the reasons I only moved up a little bit. <laughs> terrible, terrible. I started three Toronto players because they were playing Cincinnati and Vancouver. Um, they did not score in either of those games, nor did they notch a clean sheet. They lost both of them. And now I realize that Toronto on the road, even if they are playing the Northern Colorado Hailstorm, maybe don't start their fantasy players. They're <laughs> winless in, I believe, 13 straight now away from home um, and goalless this week. Uh, content recommendations, Tim. What are you uh, watching, listening to? What do you recommend for the good folks who are still listening? Mine is kind of a throwback. It's American Fiasco. It's uh, created by the, the Men and Blazers gentlemen. So um, and it's about the 1998 World Cup for the United States men's national team, which did not go super well. No. Uh, I've been, I, I, you might have recommended this once, actually, but I've been holding off on recommending it. I needed to make sure the U.S. was going to make this year's World Cup before I recommended some, like, very, very bad vibes World Cup content. <laughs> but um, it's about what went wrong for the U.S. when they went to France and um, a lot of really kind of insightful stuff from guys who were on the ground and experienced why it went poorly, including past guest Alexi Lawless gives a lot of a lot of insight as to what went wrong in France. And it's something that, um, you know, hopefully this uh, 2022 edition of, of the U.S. men's national team can kind of take some lessons from that and not uh, struggle in Qatar. I can speak from experience. A lot goes wrong when Americans go to France. Um, <laughs> but, I, yeah, I will wholeheartedly, uh, full-throatedly second your motion to listen to that. I listened to it almost two years ago now, I think. It's mm-hmm. been a while. It was before. I remember I listened to one episode. I was I was paddleboarding on the lake at my grandma's house, and I had my, my waterproof speaker just sitting on the board, and I'm just paddling around, listening to how they were so excited to be in the mountains of France around nothing and yeah actually not excited at all they were very upset to be like isolated it was yeah it was they were very there was an entitlement i think that Mm -hmm. um that cost them in a lot of ways and and it had even you know a a geopolitical tie-in they played iran obviously that's going to be another matchup this year that nashville Mm -hmm. nashville see what the u.s is going to (laughs) have um and I, I, it is it is so good and it's told from the perspective of course of a of a british man from liverpool and roger bennett Mm -hmm. But if you know any of his work, he he strongly identifies with American culture, yeah. and and he, he sets he the is, stage for that in the podcast. He is a naturalized American, and as proud to be an American as as anybody who was born in the United States. He reminds he reminds me of our good friend Valer from the Pharmaceutical yes. Soccer Podcast. Check that out as well. Oh yeah, a naturalized American who grew up in Iraq. I got two content recommendations, Wes. I'm I'm changing the paradigm here. But just I think people who have an appreciation for what the United States is, and, and that in, includes from a sporting perspective, are, have a different perspective than you and I do, who have kind of maybe taken it for granted, I would say, mm-hmm. over the course of our lives. This is the first time we've given just a person as a content recommendation. Yeah, check out Valer. Check out Valer. <laughs> do it, though, seriously. You know, He's while one you're of the at it, best people three, I know. three recommendations. Check out his charity, Kicking at 615. Their season just ended, go. but they can use uh, 365 days a year. They can use uh, your help whether that's labor, whether that's uh, donations. He's a great person. He also has great judgment. He's an Arsenal supporter. Uh, just, a, mm. just a good that's his one. His one lapse in judgment, I'll say. <laughs> I mean, I got to agree with that, honestly. As an Arsenal fan, I completely agree uh, with that. 
Um, my contra recommendation again, I'm recommending actual soccer, and that's the promotion playoffs. Um, I, I know, right? Uh, so as I get, I'm getting notifications. Just got a, uh, an hour ago, they finished that Sunderland has drawn Sheffield Wednesday and advanced to Wembley to take on Wickham Wanderers for the League One. Uh, playoff match for the right to go to the championship. If you've watched Sunderland until I die, which I've only made my contract recommendation like six times on this show. Uh, shout, out to, shout out to former NSC defender, Jason Davis, who gets a little, a score bug background. Shout Justin. out in that show. In yeah, the first, just, yeah first that's, that's true. He does. I, I noticed that too. On my, my second watch through of that. Watch a promotion playoff match. Uh, Nottingham Forest, a team. I'm not going to say a support because that loops me in with people who've been following them for decades, and that's pretentious of me. A team that I've been following for the past few years. Um, also involved. They'll play Sheffield United in the championship. It's it's just fun. It's good. It's good drama. And, oh, man, so much rides on each touch of these matches for these clubs, not just for their pride, but for their finances, in some cases mm-hmm. for their existence. When you look at, at you know, League Two teams who can't afford to stay down there for long. It's tremendous to watch. Watch an English promotion playoff. It, I like it better than watching a mid-table Premier League game any day of the week. It, it's not even close. Or even an, an upper table one that doesn't involve Arsenal because the drama and the stakes are that much higher in some cases for some of these clubs seeking to, to move up. Uh, that's it for the show. It's been a fun one. And it's great to recap this first Nashville SC win at Jodas Park with you, Tim. Any final thoughts? No, just uh, thank you to everybody who listens. Don't forget, rate, review, subscribe. I know everybody says this at the beginning and end of podcasts, but we mean it. Actually do it for ours. Um, so much thanks to Matt Doyle for joining us. Yeah. Uh, we've been trying to get him for a long time. We're very excited to finally uh, be able to, to find a time that works for all of us. So thank you to Matt and uh, everybody. Tell a friend. Always a good discussion with Matt. Thanks to him. Thanks to ML Rose for the sponsorship. We'll see you there Wednesday. 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. Leave a little early if you want to. I will be. But come by, certainly, for the beginning of that or whenever you get off work. Drop by for a few minutes and register to win those Montreal tickets. Walk over with me to the match, that short walk. I'm going to make my first pilgrimage, my first walk. My five-minute walk, says Tim. <laughs> it might be 15. Either way, it's not long, and it's it's worth doing. Come with me and, heck, sit with me if you want. There's There's some empty seats right now. Going with a good friend of the show and a good buddy, but there, there may be seats around us. We'll try to say hi to as many of you as possible as I'll be wearing gold at a match for the first time since the Miami playoff match in 2020 with 3,500 of you at Nissan Stadium. A lot more <laughs> hopefully going to be there at Jodas Park. Looking forward to it. Thanks to the 440 Sports Network for putting us on the air. We'll talk to you next week.